All right, Revelation, and we have come now to chapter 7, and in order to really understand what's going on here, you need to understand just where we are in our study of the book of Revelation, and I, I appreciate so much you folks who are so faithful every single week to be here, and I, I know that you understand that every Sunday we have we have a lot of folks who come here for the very first time. They, they don't know everything that you know about the book of Revelation. We believe that God has brought them here today to be able to get something. So we need to take just a few minutes to, to kind of dial them in to where we've been. And, and I also live with the constant reality. You know, I, I, get, the, uh, I get tagged with being the major review guy. Um, but I, I do also recognize that it's been 168 hours since we sat here the last time. And something just tells me that you didn't spend the last 168 hours just going over all of this stuff that we've been learning. Man, you've had to deal with life in the last 168 hours. Uh, you, you, you've had to make major decisions. You've had all kinds of things that have gone on the last 168 hours. So what this is, is a time for us just to kind of pull it all back in, get a running start, and get, get moving. But in chapter 6, and this is the thing that is so, so cool, is, it is, this is right where we're living right now in 1998, because this, the subject matter that we're dealing with, it's something that people are talking about today. I mean, especially as we're closing in on this, this new millennium that's going to be coming, this is the topic of conversation today. In fact, it's been the topic of conversation for the last several thousand years. In fact, when Jesus came to this planet, this is one of the key things that he talked about. In fact, he talked about this period of time that we're dealing with here in Revelation chapter 6, he, he talked about it as a period of time that there has never been a time like it before it. And he said that there would never be a time like it after it. And it's a period of time that we have come to call, and, and the Bible even specifically calls, the time of, of tribulation or the tribulation period. And what this period of time is, is a seven-year period that takes us back to a prophecy that God gave to the prophet Daniel almost 3,000 years ago, this very time, this time of tribulation, was something that was revealed in that prophecy. And, and listen, folks, after all of that time, we are about to see on this planet, we're about to see the events that are prophesied take place. Some of the folks in this room won't see them. Other people that are in this room will see those events take place. But this seven-year period that we're talking about is a time when man finally gets what he asked for in him choosing sin. You remember back in the garden, man chose the way of sin. And he's finally going to get what he deserved. You see, you know, every one of us, you understand, have followed suit in that decision to choose sin above God, and during that period of time, sin is absolutely unleashed on this planet. Man finally reaps the full harvest of his sin, and again, that 
final seven-year period is going to take place on this planet immediately following another event that is prophesied in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's also prophesied for us again in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is going to take place immediately after the event that is called the rapture. And as wild as it may seem to some of you folks who are in this room today, what the rapture is, is an event where the Bible says in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I mean, that's before you can even bat your eye. What the Bible says is going to take place is a trumpet is going to sound and every single person who is on this planet who has entered into a relationship with God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, they will instantly, miraculously, and bodily be removed from the face of this planet. In other words, if that event were to take place this morning, sometime during this service, and, and I want you to know, it very well could. It's not like we're sitting here waiting for the next, you know, ten things on God's prophetic calendar to take place before that event can happen. There is no prophecy left to be fulfilled before that event takes place. It could take place. If it did this morning, what would happen is every person that is in this room that knows God through Jesus Christ would be instantly removed. If you happen to be closing your eyes for just a second and open them back up, a good portion of this room would not be here any longer. Now, understand, we're not talking about everybody that's got their name on the roll of this church or any church. That's not the issue. The issue isn't what church you're a member of or any of that. It is, do you know God through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through his death on the cross? But that event is going to take place. It is prophesied in the Word of God. It can take place at any moment. And as God gives the Apostle John the explanation of these events in the book of Revelation, the period of time that we're presently living in right now is described for us in chapter 3, verses 14 to 22 in the letter to the Laodiceans. And then immediately following that, the conclusion of that letter, and I believe that we're living in verse 22 right now as far as time is concerned. And then you'll notice in chapter 4 and verse 1, it is a description in the book of Revelation of the rapture. And then the rest of chapter 4 and chapter 5 describe what is going to be going on in heaven immediately after the rapture. And then we come to chapter 6 where we see that the Lamb, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, begins to open the seals of a seven-sealed book that we were intro introduced to in chapter 5. And what happens as he opens these seals is what is revealed to John, and of course now to us, is the unfolding of this tribulation period on the earth. You know, we're coming through all of this this morning. Obviously, we're just in, in trying to introduce this whole subject. And it can be just a little bit factual. You know, here is the time we're living in, and then the rapture, and then tribulation. You know, and just getting all the facts until you begin to realize. And I want to constantly just keep bringing this back to you. That the events that we see prophesied in chapter 6 that are going to take place during the tribulation period are events that are going to affect the very people who are 
presently living on this planet. And I don't know what that does to you, but when you go to the store this afternoon to pick up a, a gallon of milk, you just begin to look around and you begin to see these are the people that are affected. You're going to have dinner with your family, and a lot of them you're going to get with people that don't know the Lord this afternoon. These are people that unless they come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, these are people who are going to live through the awful fate of what we see here in, in Revelation chapter 6. And we've seen in verse 2 of chapter 6 that when he opens the first seal, what it describes for us is the fact that a world dictator is going to come on the scene. He comes imitating the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gains his power through a series of peace treaties and, and pacts and an arms control program. We've noted several times that in, in, in this verse, what, what you begin to see is that he has a bow, but no arrows. Uh, again, uh, an arms control program. Other places in the Bible describe this world dictator as the Antichrist, and he will appear on this planet, and he will perform the most incredible display of miraculous power that has been on this planet since Jesus Christ himself walked here. And then after three and a half years, the facade is stripped away, and then the second seal is opened in verses 3 and 4, and all the peace and safety is converted into war and the most inhumane worldwide killing in the entire history of the world. That's what is being described for us with the opening of that second seal. Man, I'm talking people who are alive on this planet during the opening of that second seal will become very hateful, very vindictive, sadistic, and even murderous, that'll give way to economic catastrophe and worldwide hunger as the third seal is opened in verses 5 and 6. And then in verses 7 and 8, then there's pestilence and death with the opening of the fourth seal. And then in verse 9, incredible martyrdom for those who do know the Lord Jesus Christ with the opening of the fifth seal. And folks, by the time the sixth seal is opened, which marks for us the end of the, the tribulation period, this first time that the Apostle John is bringing us through it. But during the opening of the sixth seal, not only has God just uh, allowed sin to be totally unleashed on this planet, but what happens during the opening of that sixth seal is God begins to unleash his judgment. And in verse 12, what it tells us is that he literally grabs a hold of his universe, that it says in the book of Colossians, that by him all things consist. He's the one that's holding it all together. He's the one that's controlling all the orbiting that's going on out there in space. He's the one by whom all things consist. But what happens during the opening of the sixth seal is God takes his universe and he begins to, to shake it causing earthquakes and volcanoes, tidal waves, tornadoes, hurricanes, asteroids and meteorites begin to just pulverize the, the earth. And verse 12 talks about the fact that the sun becomes dark and the moon becomes blood or, or as blood, it, it becomes red. And, and I don't know if you saw it in the paper this week, but did you see the, 
the article talking about the asteroid that has the potential of, of hitting the Earth. Uh, it, it, it's called 1997 XF11. How many of you, you read that article th this week? Okay. How many of you did not see or hear anything about that? Okay, well, I've got this, this article that's off of the AP, and it's dated uh, Thursday, March 12, 1998, just, just this past Thursday. And, and, it, and it's talking about a lot of the same exact things that we were talking about when we came through the opening of that sixth seal. I want you to just, just listen and, and go back in your mind to the things that we, we talked about. It will come extremely close, said Brian Marsden of the International Astronomical Union, which issued an asteroid alert Wednesday. The chances of impact are very small, but not impossible. We've not had a case like this before. And he goes on in the article, and it says, an asteroid the size of 1997 XF11 colliding with the Earth at more than 17,000 miles per hour would explode with an energy of about 320,000 megatons of dynamite. That equals about 2 million Hiroshima-sized atomic bombs. 2 million of them. Do you remember uh, us coming through there and we, we talked about the fact that when this begins to take place on the earth, I, I, I even used the illustration that it's going to make the, the atomic bomb in Hiroshima seem like a stick of dynamite going off. Two million times the size of that, and, and, and listen to this, if such an asteroid hit land, he said, it would instantly dig a crater 20 miles across and so clogged the sky with dust and vapor that the sun would be darkened for weeks, if not months. Now, you know what? I really, I really don't think that you got anything to worry about with 1997 XF11. I really don't. But I do think you most definitely need to concern yourself with Revelation 6, 1 through 17. Because you see, that is going to hit. And I promise you, it's going to hit most definitely. Now, you know what, folks? Now, listen, I, I, I'll grant you that if this was the only prophecy in the Bible, I, I, I'll give you that you could sit here this morning and say, Now, I, 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 I'll, I'll give you, it would be real difficult to believe, but this is not the only prophecy in the Bible. This is one of 10,365. And over the course of the last 4,000 years, do you recognize that the Bible has never one time ever missed? It's got a track record of being right 100% of the time. And so listen, when we're talking about these prophecies, please do not just pass them off as, well, that's what those religious fanatics say. I'm, I'm telling you, folks, we're seeing the, the shadow of these seals being cast upon the earth. And verse 17 of Revelation chapter 6 says that of that day, for the great day of his wrath is come, and it will, 
And then it asks the question, and who shall be able to stand? And the answer to that question is no one. Your only hope is to be removed back here in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 with the rapture of the church. Now, I've taken a few minutes to go back through that, to just get all of those things in our mind, because you need to understand all of that in order to understand what's really going on in, in chapter 7, because though chapter 7 obviously follows chapter 6, it is actually, as we've seen, it's actually a parenthesis that's describing things that are taking place during the opening of the seals there in, in Revelation chapter 6. And we, we've seen, as we've come through uh, chapter 7 to this point, we've seen that chapter 7 revolves around two key groups of people that you need to make sure you get in your mind. First of all, the 144,000 sealed Jews that you see in verse 4, and also a numberless multitude of saved Gentiles that you see in verse 9. And because of the many cults that have arisen because of this chapter of the Bible, what we've been doing over the last several weeks is trying to take this chapter just as slowly as, as, as we can so that we all understand it very clearly so that there's no mistakes about anything that's going on here. We've tried in our outline to, to, to be a, as simple as we could possibly be in this thing, and we began by simply asking the question, who? Who is sealed? And you can begin to just jot some things down here in your, on your study sheet. Who is sealed? And you see, this is where everybody gets messed up because they try to read themselves or their group or their denomination or their religion into this number when verse 4 very specifically tells you who this 144,000 is. And what it tells you in verse 4 is that the 144,000 are of all the tribes of the children of Israel. They are literal flesh and blood Jews, and verses 5 through 8 let us know that it is 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes, and of course 12,000 times 12 is 144,000. And when you begin to look at how God words what he says in verse, verses 3, 4, right on down through 8, what you begin to see is there is no way that without violating every rule of Bible study that the Bible has laid out in, in itself, there's no way in the world that you could take this 144,000 to be anything other than literal flesh and blood Jews from the 12 tribes of Israel. Then next we asked when. Well, when are these 144,000 sealed? And this is what lets us know that chapter 7 is a parenthesis that's describing events that were actually taking place chronologically during the time that was being described in chapter 6, because as we've already seen, the judgment of God is unleashed in chapter 6. Now that's why I wanted to review that, to make sure we all understood the judgment of God is being poured out through the opening of those six seals in Revelation chapter 6. We see that, that judgment actually beginning with the opening of the second seal in, in verse 4. But when we come to chapter 7... In verse 1, what it tells us is that the four angels that are on the four corners of the earth that are holding the four winds of God's judgment, they are told to, uh, by, by that angel that ascends out of the east in verse 2, they are to 
hold the winds of God's judgment until, verse 3 says, until the 144,000 are sealed. And so we know then that the sealing takes place sometime before and or during the opening of the first seal. In that first three and a half years of the tribulation period, this 144,000 are sealed before the judgment of God actually begins to blow upon the earth. So that's when. Then next we talk about how. How are these 144,000 Jews converted? And the reason that this is such an issue is because 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And as we've seen back in chapter 4 of Revelation in verse 1, the church is removed off of the face of this planet. And the point is, everyone, when that event takes place, everyone on this planet who knows God and knows the truth, they're gone. So how is this 144,000 converted? And we saw that the Apostle Paul gave us a very monumental statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 8 when he described his conversion that he was one who was born out of due time. In other words, Paul was saying, I was one that had a premature spiritual birth. And we saw that when you begin to look at Paul's conversion, he was saved in a, in a different kind of way than we were. When I was saved, it was just like when you were saved. Somebody was preaching the Word of God to you and gave you the Gospel. And here is the Apostle Paul, who was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. He's cruising down the road to Damascus one day, when all of a sudden, bam, the Lord Jesus Christ himself appears to him. Immediately, his eyes are opened to who Jesus Christ is. He calls upon the name of the Lord, and he is instantly and miraculously saved. And Jesus said of him immediately thereafter, He is a chosen vessel to bear my name to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the children of Israel. He's one prematurely born, born out of due time. And then you see, he's a picture of the 144,000, because what you'll see is that their conversion is just like the Apostle Paul's. Because they too, as Jews of the tribes of the children of Israel, will have the Lord Jesus Christ himself reveal himself to them. Their blinded eyes will be open to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. They too will call upon his name. They will instantly and miraculously be converted and sealed to be chosen vessels to bear his name to the Gentiles, to the kings, and to the children of Israel. So that's how. And then we asked what, and then where. What is this seal, and where are they sealed? And verse 2 lets us know that, first of all, that it is the seal of the living God. What is the seal? He tells you, verse 2, it's the seal of the living God. And the end of verse 3 lets us know that it is a visible seal. That is, it's marked in the foreheads of this 144,000. And we saw over in chapter 14, in verse 1, you can go ahead and look at it if you would like to. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1, 
It tells us that this seal is actually the name of the Lamb's Father marked in the foreheads of this 144,000. And that name, of course, is the name Jehovah. So, so that's what this seal is. And if you weren't here last week, last week, one of the things that you want to make sure that you note about this seal of the living God that is marked in the forehead, the name of Jehovah marked in the forehead of this 144,000, one of the things that you may want to make sure that you understand is that, is, yeah, that, that mark, that seal, is counterfeited by the Antichrist. In chapters 13 and, and 14 here of, uh, of the book of Revelation, what we find is that he too marks his followers with what the Bible calls the number of his name, the infamous 666. And this is a mark that you must have during the tribulation period if you intend to buy or sell anything. And he says that if you do not take that mark, he'll chop your head off. And yet God tells you that if you do take that mark, that basically you have sealed your eternal destiny. Because he tells us over in Revelation chapter 14, verses 10 and 11, that all of those who take the mark of the Antichrist will have the wrath of God poured out upon them. They will be tormented forever and ever and ever. And then that brings us to a final question concerning this seal, and that is why. You see, and now you, you got to work through all of those other things to get it down to the why. Okay, there's so much discrepancy, and everybody all confused about it. As you can see, it's not really that that difficult to understand. But now we're to the real issue, folks. Why are these 144,000 sealed? Well, first of all. Let me just mention that this sealing, that this 144,000 is going to receive, it is not the same sealing that believers in Jesus Christ in the church age receive. Now, a lot of people don't understand that. They think that this is the same exact thing. I'd like for you to turn back, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1 for a minute. Because what this passage teaches us in Ephesians chapter 1 is that the day that you and I received the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, look at the end of verse 13. What it tells us is after we believed, we were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, okay, or the down payment, it's that deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Okay, now, now, now listen. The day that we received Jesus Christ, what he's saying here is he purchased us. And, and it, it, we, we became his purchased possession. And in that whole transaction where he was purchasing us as his possession he redeemed our souls that's what happened to us the day that we got saved he redeemed our souls and once he, he did that spiritually we were placed in Christ and once we were 
in Christ, we were sealed in him, just like a pickle in a jar, man, when you, when you do canning. In, in that same way, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise in Christ. And God says of that, that seal, which is the Holy Spirit, that seal is the proof or the deposit guaranteeing that one day we're also going to see the redemption of our bodies. Okay, so our sealing, the, the, the sealing that we receive in the church age is the sealing of the Holy Spirit. But like we just saw, the sealing of the 144,000, and you can go back to Revelation 7 now, the sealing of the 144,000 is something different. It's not the sealing of the Holy Spirit. It is the sealing of the living God. The living God. And we saw just a minute ago that it is a visible seal. At least it's visible to God and to, to the angels where God literally marks his own, this 144,000 with his own name in their foreheads. But again, why? Okay, well, let me ask you this. Why do you mark stuff with your name on it? Right? I, I mean, you know what? I mean, you know, the Bible is just, it's a simple book. Why do you mark stuff with your name on it? Because it's, it's yours, right? It's a mark of ownership. And God is wanting to let everyone know that this 144,000, they're mine. These are mine, y'all. And so first of all, the 144,000 are sealed to mark God's personal possession. To mark God's personal possession. They are the personal property or the personal possession of the king. And that's why he seals them. But not only that, the 144,000 are sealed to guarantee God's personal protection. They are sealed to guarantee God's personal protection. Now listen, when something is marked as the personal property of the king, and it carries with it the seal of the king then you can rest assured that the living God who knows all and sees all and has all power ain't going to let anybody jive with his stuff. Right? I mean, you got the seal of Jehovah God on these people. You think somebody is going to jive with them? Now, you know what? You may jive with my stuff. You know, because I, I'm not like God, and I don't, always, I don't always see what you're doing with my stuff. And I don't always find out about it. And even if I did see you or find out about it, I might size you up and say, I don't think I'm going to mess with that dude. Uh, I don't think my stuff means all that much to me. But you know what? God never sized anybody up and said that. He never looked at anybody and said, Oh, my. And, and something else, God's never missed seeing what anybody does with his stuff either and as soon as you think mm, coast is clear and you reach out to jive with his stuff he'll slap you back so fast you won't even know what hit you and these people they're marked man they're marked the personal possession 
of Jehovah God, and that mark guarantees they are protected. And listen, folks, in the midst of all of the horrendous stuff that we just saw in chapter 6 that's going to be going on during the, the tribulation period, I mean, this is an incredible thing. In the midst of everything that we were talking about there in chapter 6, you know what? Those 144,000 sealed Jews will go through the whole thing totally unscathed. In, check, in fact, check it out in chapter, in chapter 9. Chapter 9, look at verse 1. It says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit, and there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them, now watch this, that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. I mean, these incredible creatures are going to be coming forth, and anybody who doesn't have the seal is open game. But God says, you know what? Don't jive with my stuff. And they... This 144,000 go through the whole tribulation period totally unscathed. And listen, folks, while Satan will be having an absolute heyday in the person of the Antichrist in, in this period of time where sin is just absolutely unleashed on this planet and he's chopping off the heads of millions and millions of people who do not take his mark, you understand the 144,000 are going to cruise right through that thing and they are going to be a constant burr in the saddle of Satan. A constant reminder that though he's having his little day in the sun, that God still has him on a leash. And God is still saying to him, you can only go this far and no more. Because you see, with all of his military power and might of the, all the combined armies of the world, they are not, during the tribulation period, they are not going to be able to lift a finger on this 144,000. This 144,000 sealed Jews, they're going to be like the three Hebrew children in the book of Daniel, where it says that they went through the fire, but the fire had not power on their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor had even the smell of smoke gotten on their bodies. You say, well, how'd that happen? God sealed them. I mean, they were walking in the midst of the fire and didn't even get smoke on them? Nope. And you see the 144,000 just kind of walking through this whole thing. I mean, meteorites just crashing around. Just, just cruising through it. You know, and I promise you, with all the enjoyment that the devil's going to be having, this 144,000, they're going to tick him off, man. Because you see, they're going to be living proof to the devil all the way through the tribulation period that he cannot possibly win in the end. They're going to be a constant reminder to him that he is most definitely very powerful, but he is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. 
They are going to be a constant reminder to him of the truth of Romans chapter 16 and verse 20 that says that shortly God is going to bruise Satan's head under our feet and is going to cast that sucker into the bottomless pit. You see, it's 144,000. I mean, here's the devil just, I mean, having an absolute heyday. And every time he sees one of those 144,000, it's, it's just a reminder. This is not the end of the story. And you know what, folks? I'm telling you, when you understand all of the horrendous stuff that is going on in the tribulation period, and you recognize that this 144,000 Jews are going to come through that, with the divine protection of God. I'm telling you, it is just, in my thinking, it's an incredible thing. But you know what? I mean, that's, that's wonderful for us to look at that group of people. And you know what? If I told you today that you were one of the 144,000, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you that, but if, if, I, if I told you that, do you believe God would protect you through all of that? You know what's weird about this? If I told you that, and, and if, or if God himself came down and said, you know what? You're really Jewish. You're not a Gentile, okay? I'm going to make you one of this 144,000. You know what? You'd believe him. You'd believe that you'd walk all the way through that tribulation period and you'd just walk right on through that thing and with absolutely no fear. But you know what? We're living here this morning in the church age. And do you understand? We live under the same exact protection of the same God today. And, and do you realize? Now, I, I know there's some, some difference. But do you realize this morning that he has so sealed you as a believer in Jesus Christ that there is nothing, that there is absolutely nothing that is ever going to take place in your life that God himself has not specifically appointed or sovereignly allowed to take place in your life? Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? There's nothing ever going to take place in your life that God has not specifically appointed or sovereignly allowed to take place in your life. Now, I, I love the old line... Did it ever occur to you that nothing occurs to God? Do you realize, folks, God never gasps? God never says, Oh my goodness, I didn't realize. Oh, if only I would have known. He never bites his fingernails. He never wrings his hands. He never gets nervous. And, and listen, the same exact thing that is true, the 144,000 is true of your life. He knows exactly what you're going through. And you know what? He's not freaked out. He knows your situation this morning. And, and, and I know some of you came in here today and you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do. God isn't doing that this morning. And you know what? He knows what you are going to go through. And he's still not freaked out. And when you start going through it, he still ain't going to be freaked out. He's still going to be God. But you know what? There, there's some of you folks, bless your hearts, 
And, and you, you walk around, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you walk around in fear and worry. Oh, no, we can't take the gospel there because, oh, my goodness, it's just too dangerous. And it's always something, you know. And, oh, I just don't know what I'd do if... And, and, and Christians live the next 20 years of their life in fear and worry about a, about a what if. When the fact is that if whatever it is that you're so concerned might happen, did happen, you know what? It would happen to you because God specifically appointed it to happen or he sovereignly allowed it to happen and it would come with the promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that you're never going to get anything from him that is too much for you to be able to bear because you have the promise of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 that his grace will be sufficient for you and it's going to come with the promise of Romans 8, 28 and 29 that God is going to use this for your good and his glory so now let me ask you what is it that you're worried about really well, I believe that the 144,000 are going to be sealed and God won't let anything to happen to them that he doesn't want to happen okay well what about you do you believe that for you but, but the seal is something more than God simply marking his personal possession and guaranteeing his personal protection. Now here it is, y'all. The 144,000 are sealed to fulfill God's personal purpose. They are sealed to fulfill God's personal purpose. And you know what that is? Folks, it's the same purpose that he's always had to redeem the whole world to himself. To redeem the whole world to himself. You see, it began in the Old Testament. And his desire was to use this chosen race of people that he was going to form into a nation that was called the nation of Israel. And God's plan was to take that nation and to set them apart from every other nation of the world and he would be their God so that the other nations of the world could look and say, what is up with you? Why are you so different? And so the nation of Israel could say that our, the because of our God. And God's plan was to use that nation to draw all of the other nations of the world to himself. And you know what? The nation of Israel flopped big time over and over and over and over. And then for the last 2,000 years, his plan has been to use the church. And except for the first century, the brief stint in the 17th, 18th, and part of the 19th century, church has flopped as well and, and listen though the voices are all around us today are talking about the great revival that it's going on in the name of Jesus all over the planet and all of that the 20th century has failed more miserably than any generation of people 
that have ever named the name of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ today is so sickening to God, he says literally, you make me sick. You make me want to puke. And yet, here's man running all around saying, ain't this great, all this wonderful stuff that God's doing? And God says, come on. God says of us, you say you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing in a spiritual sense. And he says, and you don't recognize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This generation of people, listen, we are not concerned with seeing the whole world come to know Jesus Christ. We're more interested in gaining the whole world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what we're interested in. That's what Laodicea means. The rights of the people. We want to know what's in all this for us. But, oh, buddy, check this out. During the tribulation period, God seals this 144,000 to be his special messengers to fulfill his mission. And believe it or not, folks, you know what? He finally gets a group of people who will do it. He's finally going to get a group of people that's going to do it. The Jews are finally going to fulfill God's purpose in choosing them. And do you recognize they are going to do in seven years what that nation has failed to do in all of its history? In a seven-year period, they are going to evangelize the whole world. And they'll go into the whole world, and they will finally be that group of people who will preach the gospel to every creature. Do you realize the 144,000 are the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 24? Go, go back to Matthew 24 if you would. This 144,000 are the fulfillment of this prophecy here in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, when Jesus said this, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And now listen, there's so much confusion about this verse. What you've got is a lot of people, most people today, most fundamental people are, are saying that, well, folks, listen, what we need to do is we need to get the gospel out to every creature in the world because when we in the church age get the gospel out to every creature, then shall the end come. It's not the context in Matthew 24. Context is the nation of Israel the context is the tribulation period, and these are the people. This 144,000 sealed Jews are going to be the people who will preach the gospel of the kingdom in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And turn back to Revelation chapter 7 for a minute, and let me show you the results of their efforts. 
Okay, they're not just out there preaching, y'all. God's going to show you what happens as a result of, of their preaching. And we'll go into detail on this next week, but I want you to see what John says. He says, after this, verse 9 of Revelation 7, he says, After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Listen, not only do the 144,000 preach to every people in the entire world, but verse 9, at least some of them from every people group in the world respond. Now, now there's a question that a lot of folks have been having, and I've had this repeatedly, and, and, and there's something that I, I feel like we need to clarify here. You know, people are saying, and we'll, again, we'll get into detail on this, but people are saying, but you've been saying that the people in the church age are going to receive a strong delusion so that they'll believe the lie and take the mark of the Antichrist. So how is it that this multitude that he says he couldn't even number, they're, they're saved, and this is this 144,000 that are out there preaching to all of them. So how, how does this line up if God's sending them strong delusion? And, and, and the point that, that some of you, you, you haven't heard is what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is that if you had the opportunity to receive the truth and you rejected it because you had pleasure in unrighteousness, then shall strong delusion be sent to you so that you'll believe the lie and take the mark. Now, now listen, okay, now listen real carefully. Receiving the truth what is the truth? John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. And, and do you realize, folks, that all over this planet, most of the people have never had the opportunity of actually receiving the truth of the word of God? I, I remember uh, about oh, whatever it's been now, 11 years or so ago, going to Sam and Donna Willis's house. They had visited our church. I, I went into their home, and I sat down, and we just started talking, and one thing led into another. We got into the gospel. I went through the whole gospel, and, he, and I remember what he said to me. You know what? I'm one of the leaders in the church where I attend. I have never one time in my life, I've never heard what you just told me. Okay, so you see, there's people that are in churches, even in this country, that have never had the opportunity of receiving the truth of the Word of God. What they've got is a bunch of religious trash that's going to damn their souls to hell unless something happens. But you see, they're open game for the 144,000. Does that make sense to you? But when, you see, and that's why I, you've you got to understand, when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to the people in this room. And you know, one of the, one of the scariest things in all the world is to come to this church. Because when you walk out the door, you've had the opportunity to receive the truth. I mean, you, 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 this is a big mistake. <laughs> now, now, don't let that keep you from inviting your friends, because chances are real good 
They're going to reject it again then. But I'm serious. You see, I'm preaching to this group of people, and that's why I'm coming on saying, you will believe the lies, because if you're rejecting it because of you got pleasure and unrighteousness, you're gone. You will re receive that mark. But what we see here is here's this 144,000, and they go into all of the world, all of it, every single nation, and from every single people group. Verse 9, every single people group. There are people who respond. Now, the question I've got for you is, is how? How in the world is, is, is that going to happen? Yeah, I mean, in less than seven years, and basically we're probably dealing with a three-and-a-half-year period. Now, now listen to me. How is this 144,000 going to penetrate every single people group on the planet? I mean, do you understand this morning about all of the people groups, all of the tribes that have got their own distinct little language and their own distinct culture? I mean, all of them all over the world. Now tell me how in the world, in three and a half or so years, how is this 144,000 going to penetrate every single people group on the planet and learn their language and win them to Christ in that amount of time? You know what? It, it, what you ought to be is a missionary to go to another country and just try to learn the language, and then while you learn the language, start learning the culture, and start finding out how difficult it actually is to give the people the gospel. It's not even as easy as just giving them, you know, the gospel in, in, in their language. I mean, if you're going to do this thing, you've you got to penetrate that whole culture. But how in the world is this group of people going to be able to do that in all of the world? And and there's some of you folks here that I hope that this can really free up. Hey, because, man, I'm telling you, when, when you see this, this thing, this just, it, it begins to take the Bible and all of this stuff begins to, to make sense because there's a real controversial issue that the body of Christ has been dealing with for almost the, the entire last century that gets real cleared up. Once you understand what is going to take place through this 144,000 in the tribulation period, do you realize, folks, that God is going to give the 144,000, and this is on your study sheet now, God is going to give the 144,000 the same ability that he gave the 120 on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You say, well, what ability is that? Now check it out. He is going to give them the ability to proclaim the gospel in a language that they had not previously known. Now, folks, listen. That's what the biblical gift of tongues is. The ability to speak in a known language so that the listeners hear the message in their own language. You see, what was going on in, in, in the day of Pentecost, you know, here are these people, and they begin to speak in tongues that they hadn't learned, 
And do you remember what the group of people said there in Acts chapter 2? What's up with these people? Are they... Are they drunk? Why are they talking like that? And you remember what Peter's answer was? He says, no, listen. What you're seeing before your very eyes is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in Joel chapter 2. Oh, that. Okay, now, now turn back to Joel chapter 2. If you hit Daniel, just go over to the right a little bit, you'll see Hosea there and then, then Joel. Now, look at verse 27, and I want you to notice that the context in verse 27 is Jews, Jews in the nation of Israel, in the tribulation period. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you can look, look at verse 10. If you've got any doubt whatsoever about what period of time we're talking about in Joel chapter 2, but I want you to notice what Joel says in verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Now, here's another misnomer that I've been hearing for the last several months. Is, now, I don't understand how all this is going to happen because the Holy Spirit is removed at the rapture of the church. Oh, now where'd you get that? Where, where'd you get that? I mean, what verse do you use to, to teach that? You, you got it from Schofield's notes. You didn't get it from the Bible. Okay, he says, in the tribulation period, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days, which is always a reference to the tribulation period. Every time you see that phrase, in those days, I also, upon the servants and upon the handmaids, in those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. Any doubt about what period we're dealing with, y'all? The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said. Now watch this. And in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now take a wild stab at who the remnant is. Who is it? 144,000, right? And you see, all of those things that we just read that Joel is talking about, now listen, all of those things that we just read about that people are claiming to be experiencing today in the church age are things that the Bible says will take place in the tribulation period, not the church age. You say, well, if this is in reference to the tribulation period and visions and dreams and tongues and signs and miracles and wonders aren't for today, then why did Peter say in Acts chapter 2, almost 2,000 years ago, and why did he say that those things that were going on the day of Pentecost 
were a partial fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, if they're not for the church age, right? Are you tracking with me? I mean, that was almost 2,000 years ago. You're saying it's going to be in the tribulation period. Well, so why did he say it's a partial fulfillment of Joel 2? You know why he said that? Because it was. You say, okay, if it was, then it must be for today. Okay, is that right? Is it for today then? Because he said it was a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. And I want you to know, we could literally take the amount of time we've taken to get here, we could take that same amount of time again, and we won't, okay? But I do want to take just a few minutes make sure that we all understand this because I'm telling you I really believe that there are some folks that could get freed up on this whole issue because you know what you're struggling with I don't know what to do with my experience I just don't know what to, to do with it. I experienced this okay well, well let's let's just begin to look at this thing and let's let's see how this this pans out and I mean we get this all the time yeah, you, the problem with you Baptists is you just don't believe all the Bible. No, you know what? Our problem is we, we do believe all the Bible. We just believe, just like it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, that you've got to rightly divide it. Okay, so now, now, now let, me, let me help you. Okay, now, this is not going to be exhaustive. We did exhaust this in, in church history. And, and you know what, a, a lot of you folks right here, if I were to croak right now, you'd be going, oh my goodness, he died before he gave us the answer to this thing. <laughs> when the fact is, you know the answer. You just don't know that you do. Okay, so l let me just remind you. Okay, there was a kingdom that God promised to give to the nation of Israel. All the way through the Old Testament, God promised them a political, governmental, earthly kingdom where the Messiah, the promised Messiah, would come and rule over the nation of Israel. Folks, the whole Old Testament is all about that. It's all pointing to Jesus Christ coming, ruling over the nation of Israel as their king. It is called in the Gospel of Matthew the kingdom of heaven. Again, it is a literal, physical kingdom on the earth where Jesus Christ rules and reigns over that thing. And he gave that promise all through the Old Testament. And here comes John the Baptist. And he says, Man, I always wanted to be able to do that deal, you know? He says, hey, y'all, it's here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. It's here. You know what they did to him? They killed him. And Jesus comes along and you know what he says? Kingdom is here. Repent. And he calls out 12 men. And I want you to see what he tells them in Matthew chapter 10.
Matthew chapter 10. Look at verse 1. It says, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And then he begins to go through and list them. Look at what he says in verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. You know what Samaritans are? They're half Jew and half Gentile. Now, now don't miss this. Guys, here, I'm sending you out. But don't go to the Gentiles, and don't go to the half-breeds. Don't go to the half-Jew and half-Gentile. Verse 6, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The whole gig was he setting up his kingdom over the nation of Israel. And he says, now don't go that way. Now they killed John the Baptist. And here's Jesus with the same message that he is here to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. That he is the king and they herald him as the king on one day, and several days later, what did they do? They called for his death, and they killed him. Same thing they did to John the Baptist. But you remember what he said right before he died? Father, forgive, what's the next word? Them, for they know not what they do. Who's them? the nation of Israel. They don't know what they're doing. So Father, forgive them. Go to Acts chapter 1. Jesus, by this point, He's already died, been buried, risen from the dead. And He's in a 40-day period of time right now when we come into Acts chapter 1. And let, let me show you what He's doing. Verse 3, it says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, that's his death, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and watch this, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, now listen, listen, listen. There's two kingdoms in the Bible. There is the kingdom of heaven, which is that kingdom promised to the nation of Israel. In fact, the book of Hosea even calls it the kingdom of Israel. We're going to see it here show up in just a second. But now listen, don't let me lose you here. He is teaching them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God, according to Romans 14, 17, is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. In Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, Jesus said that the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. You can't say, you know, lo, here it is, or lo, there it is. He said it's within you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 20, he said that it's not in word, but it's in power. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50, he says that flesh and blood cannot inherit it. And he said in John chapter 3 and verse 3 that you enter it in, by a spiritual birth. All of that to just show you the kingdom of God is defined very specifically for you in the Bible. And it is defined as a spiritual kingdom that you enter by a spiritual birth. 
It is not the same as the kingdom of heaven. It is not the same kingdom promised to the nation of Israel. And he takes 40 days, after he raises from the dead, he takes 40 days to teach them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And you can go over to Luke 24 and verse 45, speaking of the same period of time. And you know what it says there? That while he's teaching them these things, he opened the eyes of their understanding. So do you get this? You've got the God of this universe who is teaching these men about this kingdom of God. He is the greatest teacher because he is God. And not only that, he has given a supernatural ability for them to understand. So I promise you, as he's teaching, they understand what he's saying when he's talking about the kingdom of God. But then the, the, the question changes. Look at verse 6. It says, When they were therefore come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Okay, now we got this thing. We got it down now about this kingdom of God thing, that spiritual kingdom where we got to be born again. Uh, we got it. We understand it. But, now Lord... Is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time where you're going to actually set up your millennial kingdom on the earth? And you know what he does? You know how he answers them? He puts them off. In verse 7, he said, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. You know what he's saying? Let's just see. You say, well how, do you, well, how do you get that out of that? Because I'll tell you, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul writes 20 years later, and he writes to them, and he says, now, of times and seasons, you don't even need me to write to you about that because you know that perfectly. Jesus says here, it's not for you to know times and seasons. You see, at this point, the nation of Israel still got a chance. They still got a chance. To receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah and have him set up his kingdom on the earth and so now don't get yourself confused not one little bit when you see what takes place in Acts chapter 2 now and I'm not trying to be facetious I'm not trying to be in your face man just just look at what it says Peter stands up and, and look who the audience is in verse 5 and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews and look at verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem. Verse 22. Ye men of Israel. Verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know. And you know what he's doing? He's preaching a kingdom of heaven message to the nation of Israel allowing them because he prayed father forgive them for they know not what they do and they're getting another chance strike one john the baptist strike two the crucifixion of christ got another chance here and here's peter preaching to the nation of israel and they say they come down to the end and it says they're pricked in their heart and it says what must we do who's we nation of israel not Christians in the church age, not people in the church age. Jews, 
What must we do? They didn't ask, what must we do to be saved? They said, what do we do that we crucified the Lord of glory? And he says, repent and be baptized. And if you in, the, in this age repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, you'll die and go to hell. Because that's not for us. the nation of Israel because they crucified the Lord of glory. And you come over into Acts chapter 3 and you know what? You find Peter preaching again. You know what message he's preaching, y'all? He's preaching a kingdom of heaven message to the nation of Israel. Look at verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Verse 20, look. And he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you. You know what he just said? Hey, nation of Israel, if you repent, you know what God will do? He'll send Christ right now. He'll send him back and set up his kingdom. The times of refreshing shall come. You know that time, and he goes on to say right there in the next verse, you know that, that time that all of God's holy prophets have preached since the beginning of the world? That a Messiah is going to rule over the nation of Israel? It's a kingdom of heaven message that God wants to set up his kingdom over the nation of Israel. And you go to chapter 4, and chapter 5, and chapter 6, you know what you do? You meet a guy by the name of Stephen, and he comes along in chapter 7, and he preaches to the nation of Israel. He gets all the leaders together. In fact, they got him in front of their face because they're hearing what he's out there doing winning all of these Jews to Christ and all of these things. And so what he does in chapter 7 is he just starts walking him through their, walking the nation of Israel through their history. And he's saying, come on, it started with Abraham. And he just, bam, 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 bam. He just walks them right on through their history. And you know what? They do the same thing that people do in this room every single week. I'm up here and I'm preaching, and all of a sudden, you can just see it. People turn. They start getting this look on their face. They're like, oh, I wish I'd gone shot up, you know. That's what they start doing. And you know what You know what Stephen does? He says, you know what? You guys are just like your forefathers. With clear evidence right in front of your face, you're going to miss it just like they did. They picked up the stones and they killed him. He looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. If you just take right hand and run it through your Bible, you know what you'll find? Every single time you find the right hand, someone is seated there. Seated at the right hand. 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 Till you come to Acts chapter 7, the only time in the Bible where Jesus is standing at the right hand, because you see at that point, he, if the nation, the, the leaders of the nation of Israel, are, that's the audience that he's preaching to, that Stephen's preaching to, and if they'll respond, he'll come back. They kill him. And check out chapter 8. Verse 5. Okay, now they just killed him. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Don't go the way the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Philip went down to the city of Samaria 
Watch what he's preaching, y'all. Kingdom of heaven message to Jews. Jesus Christ is going to come rule and reign on the throne in Jerusalem. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. And you know what you got? You come to chapter 9. And the apostle to the Gentiles is saved. Paul. Verse 15. The Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And you know what you see taking place right here in the book of Acts? The parentheses of the church age comes in. God gave that nation of Israel one final chance to receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah and he would rule and reign over them and had they done it, we wouldn't have entered into the church age. They didn't. And so God said, fine. We're going to enter a little parenthesis right here. We're going to call this the church age and I'm going to deal for 2,000 year period with the Gentiles. And you know what happened when he did? Joel's prophecy went on hold. And you know what? As soon as the church is removed, Joel's prophecy will pick right back up where it left off in Acts chapter 2. And he's going to seal 144,000 Jews who will preach the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is coming and he is going to rule and reign from his throne in Jerusalem. That's what they preach in all the world. And they are going to have the miraculous ability to go into cultures they've never been in and God is going to supersede culture. He's going to supersede language. They will come in. They will proclaim the message and people from every tongue and tribe and nation and people on the earth are going to respond. You see, it's not that difficult if you just let the Bible be the Bible. And, and you know what? There's some folks that are in here today. And you, God brought you here because he wanted to do the same thing that he was doing with the 12 in Acts chapter 1. He want, wanted to open the eyes of your understanding to who he is and what his message is. And the message for you is that unless you are born again and enter that spiritual kingdom that is called the kingdom of God, you will not, you will not enter into eternal life. You must, Jesus said, you must be born again. You must enter that kingdom and it comes about by a spiritual birth when you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as a hopeless, helpless sinner acknowledging that you're cut off from fellowship from God, understanding that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh who came to this planet to die on the cross so that we could enter a personal relationship with God and have eternal life. 
And that message is open to you today. And today, if you'll respond to that, Jesus will seal you with his Holy Spirit, and you'll have the promise of being jetted out of here before all of the tribulation begins on this planet. Let's pray. And now, Lord, would you do your work and a work that we're incapable of doing by your spirit, convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And, Father, would you draw people today into the spiritual kingdom through the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.